Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky show as I speak. It's Friday, April 30th, 2021. Wow, the last day in April. Uh, the headlines in today's bright one, Chicago Sun-Times, home delivered as always. Man, what a plateful of news. How about this one? Aired at Daily Dynasty, indicted. Alderman Patrick Daly-Thompson, who faces seven charges related to loans, says, I'm innocent. <laughs> I don't know if the word innocent applies to any Chicago politician. Uh, but uh, anyway, and then here's one that got me all excited last night. Bears trade up to draft Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields. Yes, Bears finally overcome their weird attitude about black quarterbacks and draft Justin Fields. And then this one, over mayor's objection, council moves step closer to renaming Outer Lake Shore Drive for DuSable. It's a lot of news, a lot of stuff going on in the news today. I don't know if we're going to talk about any of that, but I just like to give listeners uh, a sense of where we're at when they hear the podcast, because you could be listening to this a year from now and you would might, you may want to know what's going on in the world. Um, as I do with each uh, bonus show, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. So without further ado, distinguished guest. Introduce yourself. <laughs> you know, it's just right. It's I think we're at that moment in society where folks can get, get their stuff back. Yeah, Stixon was uh, on my show uh about a year ago i want to say or i don't know i've lost track of time dixon and he did such a great job i immediately said let's get you back very difficult man very difficult man to pin down he's busy he's got things to do he's got no time to talk to ben jarofsky on a podcast he's an important man okay but i happen to know someone who knows someone and she and uh hooked me up with dixon so welcome back to the show dixon uh i appreciate you coming on uh 
Dixon, the last time we were in the show, you were talking about local school councils. You're on a local school council here uh, in Chicago at Parkside Schools, you just mentioned. And this is on my mind because uh, the city, once again, what, is inching toward having an elected school board. City of Chicago is the only city in the state of Illinois uh, where it is not an elected school board, where the mayor appoints the school board members. Interesting uh, statement about Chicago's attitude toward democracy. And the stated reason. Dixon, I just read this article. The stated reason that the powers that be in this town have uh, offered, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to say this with a straight face, has have offered for not having an elected school board is they don't want to trample on the rights of local school council members like yourself. So you say, well, we have democracy. Each school gets to elect a local school council, parents, teachers, and the principal. And they get to have some say on how the local school runs. So we don't need an elected school board because if you have an elected school board, it would trample on the rights of elected uh, school council, the LSE. So as a member of an LSE, what's your attitude about the powers that be in the city of Chicago uh, using LSEs as a, an excuse for not having an elected school board? Oh, well, I mean, it's a... Uh it's kind of like, you know, sometimes we don't want to go out with certain friends like you say, but you're tired. You know, this is an excuse. It's not real. That's a lie. Um, CPS has no problem and the city has no problem. Like we saw last summer with all the great like organizing, like a lot of young folks were doing around like cops out of CPS. They said, well, you know, the LSCs have to decide. Right. And they like, you know, intentionally pitted communities against each other. But then just a couple of days ago in the same, you know, we read that Basically, they're going to just take cops out of CPS this year. Like, there's just, there's just not happening. There's no police in the schools. So what happened to the LSD agency there, right? Um, you know, see, they kind of pick and choose when they want to do it. It's like they don't want to break up with us, but they want to keep us around. They don't want to see us with anyone else. So they're just kind of, you know, stringing us along. But that's what it is. <laughs> so in your humble opinion, why is there opposition, so much opposition from the mayor, uh, from the editorial boards downtown, from the corporate community, from Republicans in Springfield, uh, who don't even live, by the way, we'll point out, in the city of Chicago. Why all this opposition to an elected school board? I mean, you you name the folks, right? They're, these are people trying to hold on to power. And so they don't want, you know, the, the community members or someone's grandma, you know, the crossing guard, the teacher, somebody like me, right, like a young black guy to have control over the school because then – you know, what else, what else are we going to turn around and want control of, you know? Um, that's, that's what it's all about. It's about power. But LSEs and elected representative school board, in my opinion, is like the most democratic and best possible thing our city can do for um, people in this moment, right? Like we, with everything that's going on in the world, the fact that people care enough to get up and go door to door and talk to their neighbors and talk to teachers and talk to students, to, to do this school, to, to make their school better, and they want to do it for free. The city's already talking about saving money. We got all these people who want to do this stuff for free, and we're stopping them from doing it. It, it clearly shows that the, the priorities aren't aligned with where we're at. What, what, what are the, uh, the extent of the powers that a local school council has uh, over a school? Go ahead. Yeah, basically, you got, you got about three. It boils down to three things, right? You get to hire and fire the principal. You get to approve the budget. And you get a lot of you get to make the CIWP, which is like the work plan, like what's the strategy and vision for the school. Um, and those three things are key because you get parents, you know, it helps hold the principal accountable, but also it helps you accountable. Right. When you I've, we went through the principal selection process at Parkside where you have to make craft what you want, like what's in this position, put it out, read those resumes. Right. Like that is a lot of work. 
and it makes you really think about, okay, what, what actually is feasible and realistic for the school and how can we make it work? So I, I think it's an excellent thing. And I've, I don't, I've, I have very rarely, actually, I don't think, I can't name an example where I saw an LSC abuse their power. I'm sure there have been, right? It's Chicago. There's so many different people. There's, you know, some schools, CPS is mostly black and brown. And so there are a lot of, they're mostly predominantly white neighborhoods, though, that have black and brown schools. So I'm sure there's been um, L- cases where LSEs were not, you know, they were acting with bad bias. But overall, I think it's a great thing, man. It's what we want. Engaged citizens, democracy, community control, and people invested in what's going on. And so I, I love it. I love it. I think it's great. Well, that uh, that little riff you just went on about communities investable people getting involved probably scared the hell out of everybody who's against an elected school board. What I don't understand is why a Republican state rep from the suburbs would be so outraged at the notion that Chicago would have an elected school board. I probably could draw it, – it, it's just something about empowering people in the city of Chicago has scared uh, Republicans in the suburbs. Dixon, I don't, why would they care? about what people in the city of Chicago do. I don't know. I mean, he probably, he probably wanted the headline. I don't know. Probably he's probably going to take that headline and take it back to his people and then get championed for it. I don't know. I mean, I think um, Chicago's a big city and Chicago's mostly black. Well, historically, has there have been moments where it's been mostly black, but we've got like a black reputation, right? Um, like the South and West Side are probably predominantly of the city geography. And we know who lives on the South and West side, black folks, right? Black and brown folks. And so uh, I don't know if you are, I forgot the word the New York Times was using a couple of years ago, but you know, you know, if you are racially charged or uh, carry racially charged thoughts, um, then you probably associate Chicago and the big city and things that don't exist anymore, like Cabrini Green or Robert Taylor with black folks. And so when you hear about black folks doing something uh, that, may give them some power and agency, you're going to be against that. So maybe that's why that guy said that. I don't know who he is, though. Oh, Jim Durkin. He's the, uh, uh, he is the, um, the, the Republican leader in the House of Representatives. And when Delia Ramirez uh, brought, uh, State Representative Delia Ramirez brought the elected school board measure uh, before the House, uh, he was asking her, interrogating her, and he said there was this uh, exchange where she said, well, I live in Chicago. I went to a Chicago public school, so I'm speaking for people in Chicago. And he goes, well, I work downtown Chicago, and I make money in Chicago. So uh, I have oh, a say right. in this, yeah. too. Like, well, I drive he's, through he's, suburban he's Elmhurst. In and out on the ben, I ran some track meets out there, so maybe I can. Uh, I got some later, I got some some uh, credibility in Elmhurst. You know, those guys at York beat us up a couple times in a race, but maybe I can go out there and tell them what to do. Very good. York High School. I'm a great uh, cross-country team. Were you a cross-country runner, Dixon? It's, uh, I, I don't tout that. Um, do not Google that. Um, I wasn't good. I was way better at track, but we didn't have a lot of folks on the team. So I said, you know, I'll be the seventh man. You know, losing a lot helps you learn to win. I just never <laughs> learned to win. Yeah, the seventh man in the cross cut. That meant that you actually were good enough uh, to be on the varsity uh, running squad because it's like seven guys get to participate uh uh, in the um, uh, cross country, uh, the mayor, by the way, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, is uh, in uh, uh, in agreement uh, with Durkin on the elected school board. Uh, it's interesting; Republicans sort of split uh, uh, from the mayor on the issue of uh, how much money discretionary control over COVID uh, relief uh, that politicians have. The Republicans throughout the state are in our uh, uproar over uh, J.B. Pritzker uh, having too much authority uh, here in the city of Chicago. 
a similar fight is going on uh, with Mayor Lightfoot in terms of uh, who has a say in how the city uh, disperses and spends uh, the billions of dollars it's getting from the feds uh, for COVID relief and right to recovery funds. Talk a little bit about this movement in the city of Chicago, Dixon. Um, yeah, so basically last time Lori got CARES money um, or federal relief dollars, they were from the CARES Act, right? And so a lot of that money was kind of earmarked, right? Stuff had to go towards housing, stuff had to go towards rental relief, stuff had to go towards, uh, you know, other types of programs, vaccine distribution, right? Um, and where money was supposed to go, she kind of put it there, but then there's a part of it that was discretionary, right? Um, and the mayor overwhelming put, overwhelmingly put a lot of that discretionary money uh, towards police overtime, right? And, you know, towards, you know, basically paying the police to do some of the stuff we saw last summer, which was, uh, I don't know, beat up kids and uh, not protect downtown and also not protect the south and west sides and also not protect the north side. But, um, you know, they needed their overtime money and that's where she chose to put it, right? Um, and she got a lot of criticism for that from a lot of folks, including me, because, you know, you had a choice. You could have spent that money on anything and that's what you chose, right? Um, so many people apply for housing vouchers and didn't get them, right? There are people who are struggling with housing. She's trying to block the elected representative school board. She also hasn't advocated for rent control or anything like that in Springfield, knowing the city can't do it. Um, and so I, I, what option do you give people, right? She could have put that money... I mean, when you read this, these bills, right, the, about what discretionary means, it could have gone to anything, man. She could have bought a ton of food and passed it out, out in front of the mayor's office if she wanted to, uh, but she didn't, right? Um, and a lot of aldermen, a lot of community groups, a lot of regular folks like me and you, like, we could have used that money in some form or fashion, right? Uh, but because she had emergency powers and didn't have to go through the city council for real, um, it didn't happen, right? So this time around, we know that the city's going to get with the American Rescue Plan Act close to $2 billion that's probably going to be discretionary, right? Um, and so Right to Recovery is a coalition of community organizations, of unions, elected officials, regular, regular, as I like to say, regular, regular folk, right? Citizens who, who are like participating and trying to figure out what the communities need and where this money can go, right? Um, and so we've had a bunch of town halls, We've got a survey we're pushing out to ask folks what they think. We're going to take all that, put it together, and we're going to go down to City Hall and, and try and make sure that this money goes to folks who need it this time and not to, like, cops or banks or whatever other, you know, thing it probably shouldn't go to, right? When you uh, make your uh, your opinions known to the mayor, uh, what's the response from the mayor's office? Uh, do they show contempt for you for even daring to suggest uh, that you have a right uh, to have a say in this? Are they open-minded to you? Do they say, Dixon, please come in and talk to us, uh, help us understand how we could better spend the money? What is their response? I mean, well, you know, the mayor actually had a survey around the budget last year um, that I thought was really interesting to your point, right? Like uh, so many people did this survey and they said, we kind of, we don't want money to go to police. And she was like, well, I haven't really heard anybody talk about defund. I really heard about that, right? Um, and I think similarly, when we announced the right to recovery this time um, around the American Rescue Plan, I, I think I don't want to misquote the mayor, but I think she said it was dumb. So <laughs> take with that what you will. Is it dumb? Like, can I ask you, Ben, can this become the Dixon Romeo show for a second? Yeah. Um, no, I've been the, waiting for you to take over. Go ahead. <laughs> OK, I'm, I'm, let me ask you. Um, there are about, according to certain estimates, around 77,000 homeless people 
either doubled up on the street in Chicago. Do you think it's dumb that we give them some money to have some place to live? No, I think that's no, an astute so. investment of city dollars. Okay, Ben, let me ask you another question on the Dixon Romeo show, April 30th. Uh, message from our sponsors coming soon. If you had $2 billion and you could fund um, all the areas that you know in the city are, are have COVID and give vaccines out, right, on COVID testing, is it dumb to try and put more money towards that, knowing everyone doesn't have the vaccine? No. In fact, I'll go one step further uh, on the Dixon Romeo show. And by the way, Dixon, thank you so much for inviting me to your show. It's really nice of you to have me on. Um, I think the mayor, follow me on this one. I'm with you. I think the mayor, uh, should hire people to go door to door throughout the city of Chicago and give people vaccines. I, I actually believe that. I, I believe Dixon that if we treat COVID as a serious health crisis, that they, they tell us it's a serious health crisis. The mayor of the city of Chicago did a public service announcement. Dixon uh, at Thanksgiving time say, mm-hmm. don't get together with your family because it could be dangerous. Uh, COVID could kill you. Mm-hmm. And so if it's as serious as they say, they should take the next step and they should go door to door vaccinating people. Absolutely. I uh, believe that. And by the way, they opened up the schools. So, you know, as they wrangle with the teachers union over the whole issue of opening up the schools, uh, they were very proud of themselves when they forged a compromise with Jesse Sharkey and Stacey Davis Gates and they opened the schools, okay, every kid that comes to school should immediately get a vaccine. That, it's, that's literally a captive audience, Dixon. So I, I just don't understand. Like, we say it's really important, and then we don't really take the next step to prove that we believe it's important. Go ahead, Dixon. Well, no, I, I would agree with that plan, Ben, on going door to door or or even going to the schools. But um, like I think some of my teacher friends and folks in CTU have pointed out, most of the black and brown kids aren't coming back. It's mostly the white kids going back to school. So you still have to, to your point, you still have to be more equitable and get into the neighborhoods and dis- and distribute more funds to that, um, which I think speaks to the school reopening, uh, what I would call crisis, right? Like we're seeing it nationwide, folks just, just trying to throw kids back in the school with no plan. You're pitting parents against teachers. You're pitting staff against each other. Um, all while the mayor, like to your point, um, gets to tell people it's dumb to fund things that they're seeing in their community. Like, you know, it's, it's not like we have a violence or a crime problem in Chicago. I'm sure money couldn't address that. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, if, if this were the Dixon and Ben uh, world, it, we could do different things, but unfortunately, it's just the Dixon Romeo show with Ben Jarosky as our guest. So <laughs> we can just talk about it, I guess. Ask me another question, Dixon. Uh, well, Ben, I read something recently you wrote about LeBron James, and I kind of want to get into that because I think. Let's um, go. Yeah, I'm a Bulls fan. I'm a you know I grew up in Chicago. I was wasn't a lot. I wasn't watching in the '90s for real, but I was born in '94, so I'm gonna be heard about it and. I'm not a big LeBron James fan, honest, honest to God. But you wrote an article about it, so tell me about this article. All right. I wrote a column about it for the reader last week, and I, I started like you. I started off the column by pointing out that I'm a lifelong Bulls fan, and as such, I've never rooted for LeBron James, except for that one moment in 2016 when he's playing the 
the Golden State Warriors, and I finally had a team that I disliked more than a LeBron James team in the Golden State Warriors because they did, they won more games uh, in uh, 2016 than my beloved 1996 Bulls won uh, and when you were two years old. So, you, of course, you don't remember any of that. So I've never rooted for LeBron James. In fact, I've booed him. I've cursed him. I cannot tell you, when he didn't come to Chicago, he played us in 2010. I think this was, you were six at the time, Dixon, so you don't remember this. He played Chicago against Miami. Like, he said, oh, I might come to Chicago with D. Wade, and it was just a ruse, Chicago. He was using you, Chicago, to get more money out of Miami. So this is me venting, uh, Dixon, about LeBron James. That's on the court. But off the court, he has won me over and it's really hard because it's, you know what I mean? Like we need sports. You, 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 you kind of like want to build up a hatred for somebody. It's not a real hatred, but it's a sports hatred and they make them the villain and boo them. You know what I mean? When they get the ball and LeBron complains to the ref, you go, oh, you always crying LeBron, you know, but it's really hard to have that feeling about him because off the court, I have such admiration for him, you know, and, uh, how he built built a school in a, in his hometown, and so he's been. What really uh, upsets me off the court is how he's been turned into a tool by the Republican Party uh, to use mm-hmm. to fire up MAGA, mm-hmm. you know, and to turn just to. Um, he's like a, a player in their larger culture wars to keep the, you know, to keep that tension out there to make it seem like LeBron James is some kind of hater of white people. That's kind of what they're trying to project to enrage white people uh, every time LeBron James speaks out against a police shooting. And so he's become an instrument for MAGA. Mm -hmm. And uh, as such, I felt compelled uh, to point out the inconsistencies of the Republican Party's attitude when it comes to race. Because my point is, I'll get your response to this, when LeBron James speaks out against a police shooting a a black person, Republicans generally say, why is he always complaining about race? This is America. Race doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And then when a black Republican like Senator Tim Scott uh, gets up on TV and says something like, we're not a racist society, and then black people across the country call him Uncle Tim, then the Republicans say, they're picking on a black man. They, they won't let a black man speak mm-hmm. his mind. So I just wanted to point out the inconsistency, Dixon, that when it comes to LeBron James speaking out, race doesn't matter. When it comes to Tim Scott, suddenly race matters. So they pick and choose when race matters. That was mm-hmm. my point. Your thoughts? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think uh, it's uh, that's that's how people weaponize race when they choose to. I, I, I know historically, again, I read when in the 90s, I wasn't alive for half of it. But, you know, people used to say the race car, right? Like you play the race car, right? But that's what you're talking about. You're talking about them effectively using race as a tool to criticize without actually like digging deep into any of the systemic issues or the class or economic issues or the political issues that are associated with it, right? So it's like, yeah, Tim Tim Scott can say America's not a racist country and he's black. So why can't he say that's his opinion? Well, some things are fact. America is a racist country. Its origins are racist. Its operations are racist. Its uh, its dressage is racist, right? If you will, this if this was a house, there is no piece of America that doesn't have some racism on it, right, or benefited from it. 
that's just how it works, right? Um, don't blame me. Blame those guys who's like enslaved people. That wasn't my fault. I didn't do that. So don't be mad at me for saying it. Um, but yeah, Republicans nationally, of course, are going to try and weaponize and tokenize a guy like Tim Scott um, in order to appear to their base as if they are um, not a party that's like rooted in white supremacy and actively working and rooting to working to, you know, strengthen it. Uh, but then at the same time to use it to, like you said, pivot and attack LeBron James when he's speaking out again. And there are a lot of critiques that I would have on his influence around uh, the way in which we speak about and handle crime, you know, police brutality or not police brutality, it's what police do. They shoot and kill people, um, the police and policing. Uh, but in, and still he represents something to a lot of folks that I think they view as positive. And so they want to tear that down. Um, and that's what they use. It's a clever, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, throwing a rock and, and being able to hide your hand and they're just hiding it behind Tim Scott. Yeah. They're hiding behind Tim Scott. What's your critique of, of LeBron and policing? Uh, I mean, I think, um, there's a really great book by a guy named Robert Allen. I, he, he may not be the first person to talk about this, but um, he talks about how certain people it's, I think, I think this is a Chris rock joke. I can't remember who, who made the joke, but um, and it speaks to this idea of what a race manager is. Right. Um, when you ask for what are the opinions of white people, you don't go to, um, you know, Mick Jagger, right? Like you don't go to uh, Wayne Gretzky, right? Like you there, we don't view, celebrity or status as folks who represent communities and views on issues, right? When it comes to black issues, though, and we con I'm considering policing a black issue, uh, folks run to, you know, LeBron James, even like folks like Barack Obama can serve in that function as well, right? But that's a function of race, right? Um, and we allow certain people to be race managers and their function, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, is to manage down and hold down reform and things like that, uh, not reform, but more progressive politics and things from happening, right? There's some, they are aligned with the status quo more than they are fighting against it, right? So this goes, I'll say, I say all that to go back to LeBron in, um, when we talk about police reform, for whatever reason, folks like LeBron, they're not talking about defunding the police. They're not talking about abolishing the police. They're not talking about de-weaponizing or de-arming the police. They're talking about reform, right? And what do those reforms look like? Um, they look like things that overwhelmingly don't work, right? Like more paperwork. It's not going to stop the police from shooting people, right? Um, more funding for training. The, the, the training is not going to stop it. We've seen it for decades now, right? These are the things that they push for and they take up space from folks like um, Good Kids Mad City, right? From like all the folks who did a lot of work in the like, people like that, their oxygen gets sucked up by folks talking about like reform. And so it's probably not intentional on LeBron's part, but it definitely is my critique on how we speak on that. I mean, you could even argue that general strike that the NBA was about to have, right? Like they folks, players stopped playing and say, we want some change in action. And what happened was, uh, you know, this guy who used to be the president um, called, you know, the players and told them, if you, you know, if we really want to change this, we, we would, we would, pivot the message, you know, like you guys to get back to playing. We need things good as normal. You guys, we need to get people to vote. And I'm not discouraging people from voting. I do electoral work, right? I'm with United Working Families, right? Voting is important. We do politics, but um, that's not the same thing. And that's not, that doesn't get you the goal of like stopping the police from killing people, right? Um, and that's what we've seen. I mean, 
Anthony Alvarez's video came out the other day, Adam Toledo, Dijon. Right. I mean, I, you can you could go on and on and on. I'm leaving so many people off the list because there are too many to remember at this point. Right. Um, Micaiah Bryant. Right. Jason Adams. Like, you know, I, they, they're going to all come back. But like these are that's what happens. Right. When you when people who aren't experts in things get use their platform, they I think they think it's an, positive sometimes. I think some of them know it's nefarious, but it takes up space from having and pushing for the real things that we need, which are um, real radical, progressive uh, politics and changes to society, which includes, you know, getting rid of some things and defunding some other things. That's my critique. But he could play basketball. <laughs> Who, LeBron James? Oh, now we're back to basketball. I, I will oh, criticize. Yeah. Well, no, I, I can't criticize him for the way he plays. He's one of the greatest. Just what he does to the book, my beloved Bulls. That was a great riff. Uh, that we, that you just went on, uh, Dixon. Even though it's uh, so, like, this really is the Dixon Romeo show. Uh, but no, that was a was a was a great riff. And uh, yeah, you're um, you're you're absolutely correct. Uh, when uh, LeBron James does suck up the op- oxygen, on the other hand, he keeps you know he keeps the issue alive uh, to a certain degree in terms of the mainstream media. Um, and uh, so he does uh, serve that role and that function. Uh, what's your thoughts about how he's criticized for not having a stand on China? I didn't get into this in my article, uh, but I've thought a lot about it. And I, I actually had a part of the story in my story, but I just said, you know, the story's already long enough. I, I, I could deal with this later. But one of the, uh, the strikebacks of LeBron, whenever he says anything critical, even if it's just a tweet, uh, about mm-hmm. a police uh, shooting. Uh, the right will immediately hit back, well, he won't criticize uh, China for its anti-democratic stance in Hong Kong. And that's because he's controlled by China. The NBA has business deals with China and they're afraid to speak out. So they they slam LeBron mm-hmm. James for having, uh, uh, <laughs> for not speaking out against an injustice in China as a way to discredit him for speaking out against an injustice in the United States of America. When you hear that kind of argument, what's your response and your attitude? Yeah. I mean, this is something that I'm, you know, now we're just, we're kind of rifting on, like I think not rifting, but getting to more like our international focus when it comes to like our politics and what does that mean? Right. Like I'm still learning and trying to understand like um, how that works. My understanding with what was going on in China and, at the time that the NBA, you know, was kind of silent, not letting folks speak out, was that there were folks protesting and fighting against, my understanding was police brutality, and among other things, right, or not police brutality, like state violence, and, and among other things, and that they were taken, they took to the streets, right, they were organized, and that the state tried to silence that. Um, I think for me personally, that puts into perspective, like, our goal, right, like, my goal when I do my work, isn't just to have, you know, free people, you know, people have freedom and, um, you know, whatever, whatever that means, right? Like justice or liberation in Chicago, it's worldwide, right? And that's part of the fact that these systems we're fighting against may have, some of them may have started in America or have strong roots in America, but they're like rooted in things that are global, right? Anti-capitalism is global, state violence is global, right? Um, and so I think it's it's a fair depending on who it's 
it also depends on the messenger, right? But I think it's a fair criticism to say, why aren't you able or comfortable or willing to speak out about injustice that you're seeing connected to money? I, I would question, though, oftentimes those critiques, sometimes they come from folks who, who want you to speak out on both, but sometimes they come out at folks who don't want you to speak out on either and use mm-hmm. one as a fact to try and silence you for the fact that you're speaking out on the other. And I think from what I saw from folks criticizing LeBron, those weren't folks who were criticized, who were saying, I support what you're saying about uh, police violence, and I'm, I'm pushing you further because I want you to defund or abolish the police. Uh, these are folks who are saying, I don't want you to talk about that, and you can't talk about that because you didn't talk about this, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's those are folks who don't care about either issue. They just want people to shut up. Yes, well put. It kind of reminds me when you were talking, uh, going full circle, uh, corporate Chicago and the editorial boards, uh, denouncing the elected school plan because uh, it's trampling on the powers of local school councils. I think you just, in other words, you're just using one thing to discredit something else, even though I, yeah. I can't think of one person in power who ever helped the local school council <laughs> deal with the problems of right. local schools. I mean, but that's a, that's a tactic, right? Like that's what a person in power who doesn't want you to have any does. They, they give with one hand and they take with the other. Um, and they will pit people against each other, right? As someone who does organizing, and they marginalize you. Yep, that's what a that's what a bad landlord does. That's what a bad elected official does. That's what a bad boss does. Um, I want to pit you against each other. I want you disorganized. And you know what? If I feel like you're getting there, maybe I'll give you one thing, but I'm going to take it away with the other. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let you get what you really want. You know. Um, so that's that's what that is, right? Um, and let's let's always be clear, right? The loudest folks that criticize our neighborhoods and critic like folks that I've met in these progressive spaces have a lot of radical politics. These people have a lot of critiques. They will, man, they will sit you down and for 10 hours tell you everything you're doing wrong. But they're the first people to show up when you need help. And they're the first people working to fix it, even if they don't have all the answers. I can listen to critiques from that person. I'm not going to listen to them for a guy who's never been to this part of to this part of the city. You know, we've passed out food at Parkside with Frontline Foods and other folks all last summer. Um, and we're starting back up again, you know, this Saturday, uh, May 1st from 11 to 2, if folks want to come get some groceries in South Shore. Um, but, you know, I haven't seen, you know, you're talking about Jim Durkin. He's never, I haven't seen him over here. I've never, you know, maybe he comes here to get like some heroes or something, I'm sure. Who doesn't like heroes? But he's not coming down here fighting for folks, man. He doesn't give, he doesn't give, I can curse on here, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't give a. He doesn't. He doesn't care about my black ass or nobody black ass over here, and that's just the way it is. So, uh, you know, when I told you at the green light to curse, you, you pause, and I give you credit. You're just like, no, nah, can't do it. I'm just not going to curse. I don't blame you. All right, uh, so we have uh, time for one more question on the Dixon Romeo show. What's your final question, Mr. Romeo? For you, head out the door. Um, what you think about the Oscars? Let's talk movies. We should talk about Mortal Kombat because that was, I don't know if you saw it, Ben. But no, I haven't seen that it. That was, all right, let me give you the, okay, let's just get into it. So Mortal Kombat, for those who don't know, again, something from the 90s. I was only there for half of it. Um, well, I think it's from the 80s, actually. But video game, um, people, people fighting, they fight, it's a tournament, they win, they lose, it's a game, it's 2D, right? 
So they tried to make movies before they made one in 95. Everyone looked like the character, but then they couldn't act. So they're like, oh my God, what do we do with a movie? No one can't act. And they just let them talk instead of having them fight. Bad idea. Then they made Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which they said, let's take what we have right from the first movie, but fix nothing else we have wrong, and then lower the budget um, and have really bad special effects. And so that was Mortal Kombat 2. So then they left it alone, right? Tried it twice, didn't work. So now they're back again with Mortal Kombat. And I have to say, um, from the bottom of my heart, I really applaud them for trying to make money that way. Because I think it's tough to do that. Because who wants to sell something they know sucks? But that's what they did. They put it out there and they let people watch it. And it just wasn't good, man. It wasn't good. Have you seen Mortal Kombat? Do you know anything about I've never about seen Mortal Kombat. Kombat. And I think it was... I have a confession to make, which will probably uh, get me uh, kicked out of polite society. I don't. Even, I. I think I've seen the title, so that I know that like, combat is spelled with a K. Am I right about that? Mortal Kombat. They spell it with a K. Did I get yeah. that right? There? Okay, so oh, give yeah. me credit for that. Oh yeah. Oh but yeah. I am. Um, no, I've never seen more. I haven't seen a movie. Well. I've been in a movie theater in so long. And I know that Mortal Kombat, I've seen the advertisements for it. So I'm thinking this Saturday of going to see a movie. I don't think it'll be Mortal Kombat. Uh, I'm thinking of, I may go see uh, The Courier. <laughs> it's my movie. Mm. Uh, mm. In terms of the Oscars, <sighs> did you watch them? I've, on. I watched the clips. I watched the clips. I saw some of it. Someone was doing the butt, if I can recall the dance. Yes. Uh, oh, my God. I talked about that at length uh, on the show on Tuesday. That was a big moment. I was so <laughs> impressed. Okay, let me just explain this. Okay. I was – so I'm the opposite of uh, Dixon in many ways. His life began at roughly the time uh, – well, I was like 15 years into not paying attention to popular culture. So I stopped listening to music about uh, current contemporary music, Dixon, about 1980, approximately thereabouts. So I missed the 80s in terms of music, and I missed the 90s, and I pretty much missed the 21st century. Uh, so I was not aware of the butt, uh, either the song or the dance. I saw School Days, which is the movie that it was in, but I just don't remember it as a part of the movie, okay? And the movie... School yeah. Days came out. It wasn't like a specifically highlighted piece, right, 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 right? Yes, exactly. It was part of a movie that is 30 years old, and I vaguely remember. But here's my point. So in the Oscars, uh, they set up this uh, uh, this scene uh, where um, Questlove played it, the song, and Lorraine asked Glenn Close what her thoughts were. And she she's an actress who, if this is possible, is even older than I am. And... She then went on this really like, I was really amazed, like very knowledgeable uh, riff on uh, the song, the butt, and how it should have been nominated for an Oscar, but wasn't nominated for Oscar. And it was sort of underscoring the larger point that mm -hmm. for most of the 80s, the 90s, and the O's, the Oscar, there's a split in Hollywood, like a split in America. And Hollywood just doesn't acknowledge uh, black culture. It just doesn't exist. It's like right. threatened by it or doesn't understand it or whatever. And I was so impressed. And then she got up and did the dance. 
you know, and she did it. She's a pretty good dancer. And then, you know what I discovered a couple days later? What? It was all rehearsed. Oh. She was uh, fed the question. Oh. I thought, oh, my God, I was telling my wife, this lady knows so much about the butt. EQ, she knows Spike Lee movies from the 80s. This is really impressive. Oh. It turns out they fed her. Oh. Yeah, so. Oh. That's the. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ben. I'm sorry. That's got to suck. <laughs> Well, it I hope does. folks know here at the Dixon Romeo show, none of this is said. This is all raw. Um, ben and I don't prep. I actually, I'll be honest with you, I was 15 minutes late um, and I had Wi-Fi issues. But that's because me and you, Ben, we're professionals. This is Glenn Close lady. I don't, I, mean, I don't know how many Oscars she has or doesn't have, but um, I can't act at all. I'm well, she's been nominated eight times and has never won. Kind of a sore subject, Dixon. <laughs> uh, well, yes. Maybe she should have won for the butt because she convinced you, right? Like, yeah. Like, she, well, she she's get, a like, good dancer. You got to. She get an Emmy and, for the butt. Uh, I don't know if she got an. She may have. I think she did win an Emmy. But uh, Dixon has uh, shattered a fourth wall, so to speak. Uh, he has. He revealed uh, that he was a little late, but we're not going to hold that against him. And he had a few technical difficulties, but we're not going to hold that against him because. The maestro, the master, Nate, will take care of it all, smooth it out. And when you hear this as a podcast, you'll just, you won't know at all that we may stumbled a little bit at the outset, but we ended up strong. Uh, so I'm heading out the door. Got another show to do in about one minute. Anything you want to say before we leave, Dixon? Uh, you know, happy, happy. Uh, thanks for coming to my show, Ben. I appreciate you. Power to the people. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you want to hear more, you can follow me on Twitter at Dixon Romeo. I just talk about movies um, and make fun of Ben. Uh, <laughs> not Ben, the guest on my show. Um, <laughs> yeah, join the long uh, line of people making fun of Ben. All right, this is uh, Ben Jarofsky on the Dixon Romeo show. I want to thank Dixon Romeo uh, for having me on as a guest. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.